You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Lord, we lay our fears at your feet because the battle does belong to you. Lord, once again, would you reach into our lives and hearts through the power of your word? Would you help us to see you for who you really are, to believe you for who you really are, and to follow you where you lead us? So may we have eyes to see you, ears to hear you, hearts willing to respond to how your spirit speaks to us. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Thank you so much, Tony and worship team. That was was fantastic. Thank you, thank you. So right before we dive into God's word here, just one last piece of, of news that we want you to have as a church family. We were informed yesterday that uh, after a long, hard fight, Joan Gosselner went home to be with the Lord yesterday, Um, and she and her family have been a a part of Grace for for so many years. In fact, when uh, Jamie and I first came to Grace many, many years ago, Joan and her husband Earl were some of the first ones who we got to meet, and uh, she has faithfully prayed for you and for me and, and for this church for so many years. And now she's home with the Lord. So I would like to just pray for the family um, before we prepare to dive into God's word here. So Lord, um, we do bring this family to you and we thank you that no one loves them more than you do and you know what they need. So we pray that you will provide it and that you will give us opportunity to love them to continue to pray for them as we're doing and, uh, and to serve them. But Lord, thank you for Joan's life. What, what an amazing woman of God who trusted you and followed you and was so faithful to you. We thank you that she's with you now and she forever will be with you and we will miss her. But Lord, we thank you for her. And again, we pray that you meet the family in a very real, real way right now. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So um, I was told by some of you in the wake of last week's sermon that I left a couple details out that you were wondering about. In that opening story, I told you about um, mailing some letters that were actually some bills, had some checks attached to them, and walking up to a mailbox and, uh, and opening it and dropping them in and then seeing the red sticker after the door closed that said, out of service, right? And if you remember the story, I went into the restaurant because the preaching team and I were meeting. And so in the amount of time it took me to go into the restaurant, eat, and come back out, which was about an hour later, the mailbox was gone, right? It, they had come and taken it. It was out of service, and they took it. It was, it was gone. And so many of you, a number of you, I should say, were asking me, emailing me, texting me, so what happened? What, what's, I, you left me hanging, and I, and I apologize. That's kind of cruel. I didn't mean to leave you hanging. The reason I didn't finish the story and tell you what happened, because I don't know. I don't know what happened to our mail. So in the time since then, we've been able to track one of the checks, and it did get to its destination that it was supposed to get to. The other check was cashed, but we want to make sure that it was cashed by the appropriate entity, and we don't know that yet. So I'll keep you posted. But I want to tell you another story, though, that relates very directly to where we're going in this passage today. And I will finish this one, I promise. So... 
Um, many years ago, I had the opportunity to go um, fishing out um, on the buoy line uh, of the Columbia Gorge. Any of you ever been out on the open sea before? Okay, a number of you. Any of you ever been out on the open sea in a storm? Any of you ever been out on the open sea in a storm at night? Okay. So my brother-in-law, who's just a great guy, I love him, and he had invited me on this fishing trip with a couple of his friends, and we got down to the dock there and started to get on the boat, and it wasn't a very big boat. It was, like, it was a ski boat that we're about to take fishing. And so I'm thinking, okay, I hope this turns out well. It was overcast day, a little windy. So we go out, cross the bar successfully and go out by the buoy line and start trolling and we're, we're fishing for coho. And the, the, the water starts to get a little rougher and then this very ominous dark cloud rolls in and it's clearly a storm that's coming. The wind picks up and everybody gets seasick, except me. I'm the only one out of the four of us who isn't sick. And all of a sudden I hook a fish, first one hook another fish, second one. So I'm, I'm at my limit. I catch two silvers. No one else catches anything. They're too sick. And as all this is going on, the wind increases, the waves increase, and we kind of look at each other and go, we better head in. And so we begin to head in off the buoy line, and I'm noticing that uh, as the waves are getting bigger and the wind is picking up and now it's starting to rain some, that he keeps giving it a little more throttle on this boat and a little more throttle and a little more throttle. And pretty soon it's firewalled and we're just hoping, you know, to make it in. And we do, it's fine. But the storm continued to get worse. And we found out after the fact that there were some boats that, that still stayed out there, one in particular which was far larger than us. And I, I heard in the news the next day that it capsized and sunk and everyone was lost. That was the very area we were at. And I can tell you, being out on that little dinky ski boat, even with the land still in sight at the end of the buoy line there at the mouth of the Columbia, I felt pretty helpless and pretty powerless being tossed around by these waves. Now take this story and amplify it by about a hundred times and make it at night and now you have the story that we're going to dive into today. And this story is very, very meaningful and personal to me because I was there, not in the storm, but on the Sea of Galilee where this took place. When I went to Israel in 2016 with some of you, this is what we got to see. That was the boat that we went out on, and we were literally in the very area where this storm and this story takes place today. That is a picture on the right-hand side there of the Sea of Galilee at really the narrowest point, so you can look from shore to shore at that point. Down below here in the lower left-hand corner, that's affectionately known as the Jesus boat because it is a boat that was encased in mud from the first century. There was a significant drought in the 60s. It exposed this boat. They were able to reclaim it and restore it. It is literally a fishing boat of the type that Jesus and the disciples would have been on in the first century. And since it came from the first century, they call it the Jesus boat. Was it his boat? Yeah, probably not. But it gives you an idea of the size of the boat that they were on. And then in that very place, I had been asked beforehand to just do a devotion on this, on this very story, this very passage. So I got to preach this message you're about to hear in the very place that it happened. So this is, this is very, very personal to me. But some things that you need to know about the Sea of Galilee. It is about 13 miles long and about six miles wide at the, lar at the widest point. And um, it sits about 800 feet below sea level. It is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. 
On one side, you have some mountains that rise up to about 4,000 feet. And then you, on the other side, you have some mountains, valleys, that hills that raise up to about 2,000 feet. And so the warm, moist air from the desert collides with the, the, excuse me, the dry air from the desert collides with the warm, cooler, warm, moist air from the Mediterranean, and they converge right over the Sea of Galilee, and it is infamous for sudden, vicious storms that take place. They, they happen very, very quickly, and, and they're extremely dangerous. You don't want to be out on the Sea of Galilee when this happens, and that's exactly what happens to the disciples. So, some Important details, I think, for us to keep in mind as a frame of reference. So this story is told in Matthew, Mark, and John. And Matthew and Mark put some details in their narrative that are important for us to to have as a frame of reference as we hear John's story. Because the Gospel of John was written about 30, 40 years after the first three Gospels were written. And so many scholars believe he assumes that we know some details because those other Gospels would have been written and in circulation when this one came out. So probably some details that are important for us to know. The first is... John doesn't say this, but Matthew and Mark explicitly do. They're crossing the lake because Jesus told them to. Jesus tells them to get in the boat and go on ahead of him. Number two, Jesus had withdrawn to pray. And if you were with us last week, he does this incredible miracle of feeding thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of people, and then he exits the scene very deliberately. He withdraws because they want to make him a king. And that's not going to happen on their terms. It's going to happen on his All that being said, he's withdrawn now to pray. This is not the first storm the disciples have been through with Jesus. Mark chapter 4, Matthew chapter 8, Luke chapter 8 detail the first storm that they were in. Remember that story where Jesus is asleep in the back of the boat? And they say, don't you care? And wake him up and he calms the wind and the waves. So this is the second time they're going to go into a storm. And what the Lord does is, again, miraculous. It's amazing. And that it's dark. And it's late. It says that they started across the lake in the early evening. The wind and the waves were against them. The storm came up, and they were going nowhere fast. They had been rowing for hours and hours and hours. So now as we enter the story, they're out not on the open sea, but in the middle of a big expanse of water, in the middle of a storm, late at night. And now we enter into John chapter 6, verses 16 through 24. And this is what it says. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, about halfway, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the opposite shore of the lake realized that only one boat had been there, and that Jesus had not entered it with his disciples, but that but that they had gone away alone. So then some boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the people had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Once the crowd realized that neither Jesus nor the disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum in search of Jesus. 
Now, let's begin to peel back some of the layers in this story. So Jesus tells them to go and to get into the boat and to cross the lake. And they're crossing at just about the widest place there. They were headed towards Capernaum. What Matthew and Mark help us understand that they actually ended up landing at Gennesaret, which is further down. They basically had been blown that far off, off course. So they're rowing and rowing and rowing, and, and they're going nowhere quick. You ever had that experience? You ever tried to row in the face of heavy wind? Um, at my previous church uh, that I basically grew up in before I came here to Grace, in our student ministry, we had a summer camp called a raft rally that we would do every year. And we'd take two, three, four hundred high school students down to Wasco County Fairgrounds and Deschutes County, and, uh, or Wasco County, rather. And um, we, we, we'd uh, pitch tents at the fairgrounds, and, and we'd raft the Deschutes for the week. And in the course of that camp, we'd introduce kids to Jesus and just a number of kids chose to follow the Lord at that camp. It was very, very exciting, very, very fun to be a part of. This one year, we got this bright idea that we were gonna take a really long rafting day and we would drive all the way down the access road at the time that took you as far down the canyon as you could go and then you'd put in and it was about a seven, eight hour floating trip and it was mostly floating. There weren't a lot of, wasn't a lot of white water, mostly floating but a really fun day, or at least it started out that way. So we put all our rafts on the river. We're going down this, this long float where the, the chutes empties into the Columbia there, but several miles before you get to that, there's this really long canyon, and it's, it's long, and it's always windy. And as we headed into this canyon, the wind kicked up just like it had done in previous years, and it kicked up harder than we've ever, than we had ever experienced before. And all of a sudden, we're going nowhere fast. And we're rowing in these rafts, and we're just, we're going nowhere. So we did an experiment. We pulled the paddles out of the water, and we just sat there. And the wind was blowing us upriver. It was blowing so hard. And we thought, what are we doing? So we pulled off the river, and, you know, every, every direction I looked, there's all these rafts that have been pulled off the river because no one could go anywhere. And we had to wait it out for a bit. And then we got back in and finally were able to row. We had been rowing like two, three hours, maybe four at that point. Can you imagine rowing for nine hours and going nowhere? That is what was happening with the disciples. They had been rowing literally all night when these events had taken place. And now they're caught in the middle of a storm. And what do they see? They see Jesus walking on the water. And once again, there's so much imagery that reaches back to the Old Testament and reaches back to Moses. So much of the Exodus was about God's miraculous powers, his power to part the Red Sea, his power to bring the people to safety, his power to provide for them the 40 years they wandered in the desert. And you can see all these connects to the feeding of the 5,000 that we looked at last week. But even this week, Moses parted the Red Sea the greatest Moses, Jesus, walks on it. Salvation is going to come not from the parting of the waters, but from Jesus walking across them to get to them. Now, what would that be like for you or me? We're in a storm, maybe fearing for our lives. Don't know, but at the very least, we're exhausted. We're not making sure, and we've been rowing all night. And all of a sudden, you see someone or something walking across the water towards you, would you be scared? 
Liar. Yeah, you would. <laughs> I would too. Of course we would be scared. You ever seen something that you didn't know or understand? Yeah, we probably all have. And Mark gives us a detail that John doesn't. They thought he was a ghost. You ever seen a ghost? Don't answer that. But they thought they had, right? They, they don't know what they're seeing. Of course they're scared. So would you be and so would I be. And how do they recognize, how do they realize that it's Jesus? By what he says to them. It is I. Do not be afraid. I mean, isn't that how you announce your presence when you come home? I mean, that's what I do. I walk in. It is I, Jamie. I'm here. You know, no. But there's something here. Here's some more of that Moses imagery from the Old Testament that, that, that we that we reference this from. In Exodus chapter three, when God commissions Moses to go free the people, to lead them into freedom and out of slavery from Egypt, remember the dialogue that Moses is having with him. God has appeared in, you know, appeared in the burning bush and you know, is giving Moses his marching instructions and Moses is a little hesitant. And one of his hesitations is he asks God, if you'll remember the exchange, which God do I tell them is freeing them? I mean, which God should I say sent me? And what does God say? I am. You say, I am sent you. This is the divine name for God. Jesus is saying, I am, when he announces his presence to them. And there will be no question what he means by this when we, in a few weeks, get to John chapter 8. When he says, I am to the religious leaders who are absolutely opposed, will absolutely not recognize him for who he is. They know exactly what he's saying and who he's saying he is, and they want to stone him because he's claiming to be God. Yep, that's exactly what he's doing. So he reassures them with, with who he is. And then another class A miracle happens. It says they immediately reached the shore, just like that. They took him into the boat. They reached the shore. So, so much here. So much practical wisdom, wisdom here for you and me. Let's just peel back some of those layers. For starters, this emphasizes and underscores the reality that Jesus is Lord of the storm. And the reality for you and me is storms are always blowing and they're always brewing in our lives. And they come in all shapes and sizes. Some of you are in a relational storm of some kind. Your marriage is, is struggling. Or things are really struggling in your family. Or you have a friendship that's strained. There's physical storms. We, our health goes south and we don't know why. Or we're waiting for the results of a test that we're quite frankly afraid to hear about. Or we have these emotional storms where we're just, we're struggling. We're doing battle with depression. We didn't ask for it, but here it is. And what do we do? Mental storms, situational storms of all kinds. You know what? It's, let's just call a horse a horse. It's not a question of if you're going to face a storm. It's a question of when you and I are going to face a storm. So are you in a storm this morning? Jesus later on in this very gospel, in John chapter 16, verse 33, will say, in this world, you will have trouble. 
because we're broken people who live in a broken world. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning to hear that? Are you encouraged? But the encouraging part is what follows in that verse. In this world, you will have trouble. But what does Jesus go on to say? But take heart, I have overcome the world. I am the Lord of the storm. All storms answer to him. And we have to remember that. And boy, did I need to hear that about this time last year. This time last year, we had lost my dad um, the year before. And it was at this time last year that we found out that the chemo treatments that my mom had been going through, which we were hoping would extend her life, had only slowed the cancer down. This was about the time we heard that her cancer was accelerating and that hospice needed to be called in. And I remember just dreading what was coming and the storm that I knew was brewing with that because I had helped my dad die the year before and it, it was awful. It was sacred and awful all at the same time. And so I knew what was coming. And it was, it was tough. But you can have faith in the midst of a storm. In fact, that's what we're called to do. And the amazing thing about this God is that he's always looking for faith, even when he tests our faith. As we looked at last week, when he tests our faith, he wants us to pass the test. He's not seeing how miserable we can be or how difficult he can make things for us. He wants us to pass the test of faith. And sometimes his intervention in a storm is he actually calms the storm like he did in this story. But sometimes the storm continues to rage and he calms you or me. That, that's sometimes how it works. And I think it's important that we take just a little bit of time here to do some practical business with this. How do you have faith in a storm? Or even, to put it another way, how do you have faith when you're afraid? Do you realize what the most repeated command in the Bible is? Do not fear over 300 times. By some counts, 366 times, which is one for every day of the year and an extra one for you and I when we forget it. But it is the most repeated command in Scripture. So can fear and faith coexist? I believe they can and do. I think one of our examples of how we find faith in the midst of fear is our Lord himself. This is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, the night before he is to die, the night before he is to go to the cross and face the awful, excruciating death of dying on the cross for you and for me. And Jesus, pouring out his heart to the Father, says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me as he's talking to the disciples. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, my Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Do you think Jesus was afraid as he anticipated the cross? Yeah. Yeah, that's not a trick question. Yeah. And what does he do here? He gives the father his feelings. He asks for what he wants. And then he submits himself to the will of the father. I think there's something there for you and me. From our Lord's example, 
from the example of so many godly men and women in the Bible, I think faith is not the absence of fear. It is what you do in the face of fear. I've heard people say that faith and fear can't coexist. I struggle with that because that's not what I see in Scripture. The real issue is, are you going to allow faith? Am I, excuse me, am I going to allow fear? Are you going to allow fear to overpower you, to dominate what you think, what you say, what you do? Because the example I see with our Lord and with so many people in Scripture is there's a lot of people doing business with fear, but they find faith in the midst of it, which means you can find faith in the midst of a storm, even when you're afraid. And I think there's some practical ways we can do that. And please do not hear this as, oh, just do these one, two, three things, and that makes things better. But I do think these are powerful, practical principles. For starters, we go to his word. What do we know to be true about God? And that's super important because we live in a culture that constantly tells us what we feel or what we see or what we're experiencing is, is the bottom line. And that's not true. Sometimes faith means despite what you see, despite what you feel, despite your circumstances and what's going on around you, you choose to have faith. That's when it comes down to remembering who God is. Not necessarily what you feel or what your circumstances what your circumstances say. Sometimes we live by what we know rather than, rather than by what we see or feel. And we have to remember God's faithfulness. That is so, so important. When Jesus said, I am, probably not in the moment because in fairness to disciples, probably they were too afraid to understand that in the moment. But upon reflection in the wake of that maybe, I wonder if they thought, wow, okay, Jesus is God. Which means in the not so distant past, he demonstrated that he's Lord of the provision. We just saw him feed thousands and thousands of people. We saw the miracle at Cana when he turned the water into wine and in both instances there was an abundance. There was more than than was needed. And we saw that when he went into the temple and cleansed the temple and threw out the money changers. He's the Lord of the whip and worship. And when he went out of his way to go into Samaria of all places to talk to a Samaritan woman, he showed that he's the Lord of all people. And when he healed that official's son with just a word, he didn't even have to go to him. He just gave the word and the official's son was healed. Or that paraplegic who had been by the, wa- by the pool there for 38 years, 38 years, and Jesus heals him. Okay, so he's Lord over sickness and disease. So if he's Lord over all these things, is he not Lord over the wind and waves? If he handled those things, can he not handle this storm? And the answer is yes. And that's why it's so important that we use past storms to get through current ones. I told you, I was just, I was dreading what I knew was coming with my mom. But I deliberately was remembering God's faithfulness through what happened with my dad. And I could look back on that last year and say, you know what, as difficult, as hard as that was, God met me there And I made it through that storm. And because I made it through that storm, I can make it through this one. You know, the amazing thing about our God is he never seems to be too early 
but he's also never too late. He always shows up right on time. And it's usually not on my terms or my timing, but it's on his. And so I'm reminded with these realities that faith is, faith is a choice. It's a choice to trust moment by moment. And I wish we could gather up faith and store it in a bottle, you know, maybe keep it in the pantry, get it and dump it out when you need it. It doesn't seem to work that way. But there is a place for us to remember his faithfulness because the picture here and the consistent picture in scripture is this is a God who who pursues us to save us and to give us life. Is that not the ark? Is that not the picture of the Bible, Old Testament to do? It's not people pursuing God. It's God pursuing people. And it's about a God who wants such intimacy with us to, to make us his people who comes to us despite our brokenness and our sinfulness and our selfishness to give us a way out and to give us freedom and a fresh start. You know, you think about the ark of God's presence with his people and he frees them going back to the Exodus, brings them to Mount Sinai, gives them the law, but his presence descends on Mount Sinai. He's right there. And then the picture through the Old Testament is he's, he, he comes and his presence is manifested in the tabernacle and the tent of meeting and starts on the outside of the camp and then moves to the inside of the camp and then the temple is built and God comes and dwells right in the middle of his temple and how did this amazing gospel that we're in start out in John 1 14 it said the word became flesh we're talking about Jesus here the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us another way is to translate that is he pitched his tent among us God desires such intimacy with you and me that he pursues us and when we receive him when we proverbially take him into our boat like the disciples did, he comes into our lives and never leaves us. We are the only worldview that teaches you don't go looking for God. God has come looking for you. And I love how this is written. They were willing to take him into the boat. Seriously? You think you can, you know, manage that? Take, I, that's not the flavor here, in, in fairness. So I went and looked at this, and I thought, really? That's, that, that's, a little, that's a little weird. They were willing to take him into the boat? Actually, it can also be translated, they were eager to take him into the boat. Are you? You know, the reality is, We all start out in the same boat to run with the boat analogy. We all start out in the same boat. God owes all of us nothing. We're sinful, selfish, broken people and he comes to us and offers us an escape from that. He loves us. He offers to rescue us from that and then he does. We let him in the boat. He rescues us. He transforms us. He changes us from the inside out. And then, and then we're called to join him in the divine rescue mission. The way he's pursued us, now we go pursue other people. And we very deliberately look for opportunity to serve them, to love them, but also to tell them about this God who comes seeking them even when they're in the middle of a storm. And that's why you gotta hear this next story. I'm gonna ask Stephen to come forward one more time here. You heard us referencing Stephen. We were talking about you, Stephen, in the beginning of the service as our student ministry pastor. 
But he and our David Piper went out before Christmas Eve, and I know you're going to back up and tell a story prior to that, but prior to Christmas Eve, these guys went and took a bunch of um, just invitations, like we were all trying to do, to just go invite people to come to our Christmas Eve services. But before you get to that story, tell us the first one. These are kind of Jesus pursuit stories. So yeah, let's, let's yeah. I was able to see God move in some really cool ways, and I'm, I'm excited to be able to tell, tell you guys about it. Uh, a while ago, I got in the habit of going to coffee shops just for the purpose of uh, having that time itself to, to read my Bible, to pray, uh, to journal a little bit. And I, I would do that uh, pretty consistently, and I, I felt God leading me to pray for opportunities to have a gospel conversation with somebody, um, to pray for somebody to come across my path, to, to approach me, to, to make it obvious that there is somebody that God wanted me to share uh, his love with. Um, and so I started looking for those opportunities. I, every time I went to that coffee shop, I would, I would look for those, those people, those opportunities. And, and for several weeks, I would walk away, and I was disappointed because I didn't have that conversation. I would walk out and was like, hey, did I, did I miss something? Is God not leading me at this time? What, what, what am I missing? So as I kept doing that, I started to think about it a little bit less, started to get a little bit discouraged. Um, and then I was at a different coffee shop in a different city. I was walking my dog, and I decided to stop for a cup of coffee and uh, was sitting outside and, again, reading my Bible. And uh, a woman was, was walking down the street and uh, saw my dog, and my dog is the best, so she stopped and said hi of to course. him. Of course. Of course, you got to. Uh, Andrew knows. Um, and we, uh, we were just talking about my dog and, and his breed and a couple different things and um, talked for a couple minutes, and I was kind of wanting to get back to reading and so I was friendly, but I didn't try to continue the conversation. Did too you look much. at your watch, or I, I don't know what I did? But she uh, finally um, just like, okay, well, I'll let you get back to reading. Um, it's like, yeah, thank you. I have a you have a good day. And as soon as she left, especially with that comment, I was like, dang it, what am I doing? God was faithful to bring yeah. her into my path, especially with that last comment of when we get. I'll let you get back to reading. She, she may have even noticed that I was reading a Bible. Um, she may have had a question about that. But that could have been so easily a conversation that I could have asked about her. I could have asked about how her day was going, all those different things. And that could have easily been a huge opportunity to be able to share the gospel. Um, and so I walked away from that discouraged and disappointed in myself, convicted, uh, but also excited because I, I had just seen God answer a prayer. I had seen God move in that way to provide me an opportunity, and yes, I had missed it, but God had been faithful. And so when Piper asked me to, to go uh, around Gresham and to, to walk with him as we uh, invite people to the Christmas Eve service, I was excited not only just to be hang out with that beautiful bearded face, but also because I had just seen God move. Um, I had seen God move in a really cool way, and I was excited to, to continue to, to try to be faithful in that. Um, and so we were walking down the street, and, and even before we, we finished praying for that time, a, a woman came out of the doorway right in front of us and immediately recognized her as somebody uh, who was at the uh, East Gresham Advent Conspiracy Christmas Party and was able to have a conversation with her. And God placed so many different people in our path to be able to talk to. And as we were walking down, um, I, I noticed a, a man on the other side of the street that was walking the same direction as us, and he was covered with a blanket. He was going into some shops and stuff, and it became pretty clear that he was, he was looking for a place to um, escape from the cold for a little bit. Piper, it was pretty cold that, that day, huh? And you guys remember prior to Christmas Eve, it was super cold. Very, very, I mean, very, cold. very cold. Um, so it just stuck out to me. And then we, we made our way back, and uh, we stopped by a coffee shop to say hi to somebody. And 
as soon as we walked in, he walked in behind us. He asked for a cup of water and went over across the, the room from us and was looking at some books and just, just standing there. And immediately I felt that conviction again, but also the excitement of an opportunity um, in a coffee shop that I had been praying for. Um, and so I immediately uh, went and talked to him and approached him, and I didn't want to just hand him an invitation and, and leave, but I wanted to be able to to make sure he felt seen and uh, have a conversation with him. So I asked him how he was doing. We, we talked for a little bit. Um, and I, I showed him that, okay, this invitation, it has just a 6 o'clock service, but there's actually two services before that. We'd love to have you there for all of them if you wanted to. Um, and so we talked for a second. And then I said, okay, well, hopefully I'll see you on Christmas Eve. And um, then I left. And I think we prayed a little bit. But unfortunately, that next day, I got sick, and I wasn't able to be here for the Christmas Eve services. But when I came back that next week, I, I was able to hear all these different stories of people who had had interactions with him, who had been able to uh, not only provide him with practical needs, but also be able to share the love of Christ with him. And I was able to see that God used me as a bringer, and he was able to use the rest of the body of Christ as the includers, as the, the rest of the hands and feet of Jesus as I was able to see God's faithfulness to answer a prayer uh, the first time and then be able to see that again. And I was able to walk, walk into that and, and see God pursue this man as he also pursued my own heart as well. So it was cool to see God pursuing in faithfulness uh, both of us at the same time. That was awesome. Uh, thank you, Stephen. That's so, so encouraging. And just a little backstory to the story that Stephen just shared. Uh, this this um, this individual, this gentleman, stayed for all three Christmas Eve services. He just and he just kept taking it in. And and a number of us, um, I got to talk to him too. But a number of us got to talk with him. And I was just so proud of us. I was just proud of our church community. Just loving people. And that's that's what we're called to do. And we love people that way because God has pursued us. That's why we pursue others. And so as we prepare to respond in, in music worship as Tony and team prepare to lead us there, um, this, this song really talks about being after God's heart. And that's what we want to be. We want to love people the way God loves them, the way he has loved us. And so let's, let's ask for that together as we continue to worship. I'm going to ask our prayer teams to go ahead and step out and come up front here because we want to be after God's heart. And Bonnie, any one of us who know you and have been close enough to your life know where that song came from, and you, you have lived that. And it's indicative of the reality that, that we need the Lord. We need, we need each other. And I know that in a gathering this size, some of you are going through a storm, just like I was especially in a storm last year at this time. And what, what was meaningful to me were those of you praying for me and speaking encouragement into my life and just, and just listening to me. Our prayer teams are here and available to you. I am, any one of us are. We would love to have the privilege of being able to pray for you. But as we prepare to go from here, would we be responsive to the God who pursues us and who loves us? And then when we look around and look for that opportunity, to join him in the mission of pursuing others. So let me, let me pray for you and pray for me. Lord, thank you that you are the God who meets us in the middle of the storm. You are the God who gives us faith, who calls us to trust you and obey you, even when it doesn't feel like we can or even when we don't feel like it. 
And Lord, you are the God who comes to us in our deepest fears and gives hope and gives truth. Thank you that your word says, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God, and I will strengthen you and help you with my righteous right hand. Lord, we believe that, and now we're gonna go live it through the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. So go and live for him. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.